Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. Precision Hydration offer electrolyte drinks in different strengths to match how you sweat. Personalize your hydration strategy today at PrecisionHydration.com and get a free box or tube of pH worth up to $9.99 using the code OxygenAddict. And we're also brought to you by TeamOxygenAddict.com Triathlon Coaching. Training plans, coaching support from your host, Rob Wilby, monthly video coaching calls and a private Facebook group for you and your teammates. And remember, you can join our new Oxygen Addict Triathlon Community Facebook page where there's loads of triathlon chat going on. So any questions you might have, you can ask them in there. Just search for Oxygen Addict Triathlon Community in Facebook. We've got over 850 members now, Hells, in there, which is brill. So that's all good news. Nicely. Lots of, nicely. Lots of chat in there questions about all sorts of things and lots of different advice from different people it's good yeah, it's cool all right and welcome to the show then Hells, how are you today yeah good good i was in the gym at course past six this morning wow rocking on done. a monday morning getting it done loving it yeah and uh, i did a nice run on friday uh and then spent most of the weekend you know when you go to a wedding and then you're just in a in a bubble you just feel like you've missed you know kind of two days on planet earth or a day and a half on planet earth because you've been surrounded by weddingness. <laughs> That's a mark of my age, Hals. I don't get invited to weddings anymore. I get invited to divorces. <laughs> right. Okay. It's been, it's been a long time since I went to a wedding, but I know what you mean. It's yeah, not good for the training, is it? It, it? it eats up. Like it, I always used to feel, I mean, I'm a grumpy kid anyway, but I used to feel really resentful that it was like, it's the most important day in your friend's lives. And, and I'm there going, I'm missing my long ride. <laughs> <laughs> I bet loads of people can relate to that feeling, though. I think they probably can. And I, and I guess it depends, doesn't it? It depends a lot whether if it's, you know, your friends or if it's your uh, maybe your other half's friends and you've never even met one of them or whatever, yeah. then that could up the resent ante a little bit, couldn't it? And there's always or... that thing, right, where you're going to you're going to your other half's friend's wedding and they haven't spoken since they were housemates at university eight years ago and you know they're never going to talk again and you're going, right, so we're driving to Norwich for the weekend to spend time with people you haven't spoken to in eight years and they'll never talk to again. And you've never met. I'm starting to sound really jaded. I need to stop this. <laughs> oh, I wonder whether there's heads nodding up and down the country as people are on the long runs right now going, yeah, I've got to miss my long ride this weekend as well. <laughs> I think there might be a few. So yeah, Saturday was spent a lot in the car. Sunday was spent a lot in the car. Uh, but then I packed in my, yeah, got, got a good run done on Friday. Uh, and then the two of us went for, because we had obviously spent quite a few hours in the car, um, and then I just get that I just have to go for a run, even though you're shattered, mm. because obviously being a wedding again, um, it's a, a late night. And um, yeah, I thought, no, just got to go. Just got to go for a very, very steady run around the lanes and then we can crack on with the rest of Sunday. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was a, a weekend when I wasn't really in any kind of bubble other than the wedding bubble. You've got to take the dog for a run. That's the thing. Everybody's got a little sheep dog that lives inside the brain. What? You... Sorry, you're gonna to have to explain that one. Right, so you know if you've if you've what? ever had a dog or you've got a friend that's got a dog and you don't exercise the dog, the dog goes nuts and it chews the carpet and 
eats your slippers and stuff. Well, everyone who's into like triathlon and Ironman, they've got a dog living inside their head. That's my theory. And if you go out for exercise, that dog's nice and happy and it'll lie down and be calm all day. But if you don't exercise, the dog in your brain goes mental and you sit there going, ah! So that's my theory of the internal sheepdog. You have to take your own little imaginary sheepdog out for a run. So I, I just used to go, I'm just taking the dog out. And it was my, my way of getting my brain to be calm. I think I love that. I love that. Is yeah. that does Steve Peters? I know he's got the chimp paradox thing, but does he have the uh, sheepdog paradox? Maybe it could be that? my book. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it could be that. Yeah. I bet there's <laughs> I like people that. nodding their heads to that as well, though. If you oh, get to exercise for the day and you feel bonkers, there's something going on, isn't there? Well, talking of which, I was getting cabin fever big time last week, and I was thinking I am literally sending myself loopy, and then I was like, Helen don't be such a tit go outside like you are allowed to go outside and go and get some fresh air and go and move go and do some exercise it's okay if you went for a little half an hour of swim this morning you know by lunchtime if you're sort of working at home on your own that's a long time yeah. to have not really yeah. so I was like don't be stupid go and do something and I felt so much better for just getting outside doing something gotta get the sheepdog moving there you go. There yeah. you go. Um, Rob, very exciting news this go week. Go on. What have we got going well, on? We have an interview with Nicholas Spirig coming up on the show. Two-time Olympic medalist Nicholas Spirig on yes. our little podcast. <laughs> on our podcast, Nicholas Spirig's interview is going to be coming up in a little bit. It's ace. I, I know it is. I've listened to it already. I had, a, I had a good pre-listen and I've got to say it's a scorcher. So make sure you stick around for that one, listeners. Definitely, definitely. Um, Rob, one of the other thing that I did do yesterday um, after walking the sheepdog, I'm going with that, and after, you know, batch cooking for a little bit, um, I actually did sit on my backside because I hadn't done enough sitting on the backside in the car and uh, caught up on Super League. Yeah, it was cool, wasn't it? Yes, it was It was really, really good in well, Mallorca. I'll tell you what, before we go into that, let's just give a shout out to our results sponsor, Precision Hydration, because I know loads of people listening will have, will have heard of them before. But if you haven't been onto the Precision Hydration website yet, get on there, get yourself the online sweat test done, and it'll give you a lead as to whether you are a particularly salty or a particularly heavy sweater, because we are currently, as we're recording, we are coming into the proper winter season, aren't we, Hells? We are, for sure. So that means people are going to be doing probably a lot more training indoors with the associated extra heat that gets created on the turbo or the treadmill. So lots of extra sweating is going on. And it also means people are going to be swimming a lot more probably because they want to be indoors doing some exercise with the associated extra cramps that that brings on. Precision hydration is the answer to your cramping and hydration problems. So if you're the kind of person whose feet go all knotted when they push off the wall in the pool, probably it's down to an electrolyte imbalance so try some of the old precision hydration and see if that helps you out also if you are running on the treadmill and find yourself looking like you're wearing i don't know a t-shirt you've just jumped into the swimming pool in the chances are that you need to really take your rehydration seriously both during and after that session on the treadmill or the turbo so get over there you can get nine pounds 99 worth free using the code oxygen addict if you've already tried it and you think it's awesome but you've run out now is the time to press click get loads fired up into your little uh, your little training bag so it's always there so that you've got it when you need it because 
speaking as a man who suffers from a lot of cramp in his time hells, you do not want to be having that when the fix is simply a sachet of powder poured into your drink. Oh, God, no. And Rob, go on as well to the precisionhydration.com website. If you click on the tab hydration advice, it comes up with their blogs. And there's a really, really good interview up there with Sarah Lewis, who recently competed at the ETU Middle Distance uh, European Championship. She took silver. She talks in this interview about she's now trained under Brett Sutton. So there's a nice link here with uh, the Nicholas Spirig interview that's coming up. And yeah, she talks all about that and racing pro now. So go and have a look at that on precisionhydration.com and then under their hydration advice, their blogs, you'll find it there. Awesome stuff. So over to Super League in Mallorca then, which I've got to say, it looked like it was a pretty brilliant event. And I like the fact the sun was shining over there as I was sitting in the rain watching it. Um, it looked a bit chilly on Saturday. They were there with their, um, like they, they interviewed Jodie Stimpson at the start and she was in her puffer jacket having decided not to go in to warm up because it was Oh, I Darn didn't, cold. I didn't see that yeah. actually. I didn't see that, but yeah. I only saw the, the blue sky. So I guess that is the big challenge of doing the repeated swims without wetsuits if it's not roasty toasty, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They did look a little bit cold. Like Javier Gomez and Vicky Holland were part of the commentary team on site and they were all there in their puffer jackets on Saturday. But then Sunday, yeah, it did look like the sun came out. Still, you know, sort of coldish, but mm. but not not like UK cold. Anyway, Rob, what a little course that was. It was great for the swim. It was in a cove and they had to do... It was ace, um, wasn't it? Like the ins yeah, and outs and, and around exit. the boy and back again. And I looked really interesting and fun and it made great TV viewing, didn't it? Yes. And then on the, the bike and the run. Um, so the, the run course, if you've not seen any of the Super Leagues yet, go and check it out. You you can go and, and watch it on the Super League YouTube channel. It's on BBC. You'll still find it on there as well because they've been showing it. So you'll be able to watch again. And honestly, it is just such a unique incredibly exciting and enthralling race format and if you ever sit there and get a little bit bored of the itu races um because perhaps they're a little bit longer this is so different and it's ace and then they have different shoots that if you you know if you've come into transition first then you get to basically pick up five seconds really by taking a slightly shorter line and it just adds to the suspense of the race yeah it's good tactics and it's wicked yeah, so who came out on top this time then? So in the men's race again, it was in the in the overall. Um, it was um, Vincent Louis who um, who who took it took it out. He's the man, isn't Hen- he? Yeah, at the moment he he's basically won. He, he won in Jersey, didn't he? He won Malta, and then he's now and um, taken the sort of the weekend in Mallorca as well. So Vincent Louis was overall winner there Henry Schumann second and then Johnny Brownlee was third so in the overall rankings for the current season because they go into a grand final in Singapore in February Vincent Louis is first Henry Schumann second and then Richard Murray third with Johnny Brownlee in fourth that's on the men's side on the women's well, side on the ladies side well so far it's just been the case as far as show she has been unstoppable really until this weekend because we had taylor spivey back in action okay and and it was great so she actually took the overall win for the weekend ahead of katie and then kirsten casper so it was a usa one two three but it was really 
great to watch the tactics coming into play. Unfortunately, Katie Safari's had a fall in transition um, and she just wasn't looking as in control as she did in Malta, which it did get a little bit like, oh, this is predictable now. Yeah. Whereas having <laughs> Taylor Spivey like, on really good form just added to the excitement of it all this weekend. Good stuff. Yeah, I was, I was a big fan of that. And I like the fact that from the, the pros point of view, having a hundred grand top prize at the end of the grand final for doing, it would be what, three or four races basically to try and get that amount of money. It's the equivalent of, well, nearly the equivalent of winning Kona. I think Kona's worth 150 grand for the winner. So that's, it's a massive payday for people, isn't it? Who, who are racing that kind of short distance race, which is great for the sport. Oh, it's it's really good. And even within the so within the weekend of Mallorca, for example, they would have had, you know, a thousand dollars on the line for for like the first within each little element, basically, you know, you win, yeah. you get that money. So yeah. it it's makes a lot more like really... pro cycling, isn't it? With like bonuses for this, that and, and people actually yeah. racing each other to get there for it. That is exactly it. So even if you might be doing, you know, three mini triathlons in one morning, if there's a, a grand on the line in that first one, well, are you going to go for the sprint finish yeah, knowing that it will take a little bit out? Well, I don't know. Or do you hold back and kind of give up the the grand because you think, well, actually, I need to get through um, race two and hopefully get into race three because obviously as they go through them as well, they tend to eliminate people along the way. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, yeah it's yeah. really it for good, good racing for sure. Doesn't it? Yeah. Really good racing, really good viewing. So go and have a look if you've not yet followed Super League. Um, it's going for the turbo, one for the turbo for later as you're chugging down your precision hydration. Get on it, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also then uh, a quick shout out. We had 70.3, Oh, go on, how's you pronounce it? Los Cabos? Am I? Am yeah, I well done in Mexico. Los Cabos. This is still on my list, Rob, of, of races I would love to do one day. Uh, Sam Appleton list. took the men's win in 3.48 and Ellie Salthouse took the women's race in 4.17. And a bit close to home. Um, it, it's always, I've raced this a few times back in the day. The human race ball buster which takes place on um, on a circuit that goes around Box Hill, which most people will know was the hill that was used in the Olympic road race cycling. It's an absolutely brutal season ender. And almost everyone who turns up there is, is in a kind of end of season mindset. Oh, we'll go and do the ball buster. It'll be fun. It's, a, it's an eight mile, 24 mile, eight mile duathlon. And you go one circuit on the run, three on the bike and one on the run. So going down from the top of the hill, round and back up the hill again. The two times I've done it, I've been so smashed at the end of it. It's they, they actually say in the in the um, race literature that they give out, like, don't underestimate this. It's going to be as hard on you as doing a marathon. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the second time I went to do it, I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And I got to the end and I'd been to stay with a mate of mine in London and I was just a write-off. I couldn't, couldn't go out with him in the afternoon on the Saturday, even to wander down into Wimbledon because my quads were so smashed. Oh, I did, didn't Lucy Gossett? She won it overall a couple of years yeah, ago, didn't she? She's, she's won it overall a couple of times, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, well, this year, Ben Price took the win ahead of Nicholas Besson and John Franklin. Two two thirty nine as well. A very, very fast time. I think the course record is only a couple of minutes faster than that. So, 
the, the, the thing with the ball buster is it's always weather dependent. So this time of year, yeah. some years it can be quite pleasant and some years it, there can be ice on the corners and you're like, Ooh. I remember talking to a guy back in the day who, who was it, the lad who won that year? Anyway, he used to, he used to have a friend of his on a motorbike, like ride into the corner in front of him. So practice, really? practice the racing line on the hill on the way down. So it wasn't, it's not just about your fitness going uphill. It's about how fast you dare go into the blind bends on the way down. So he would, I can't remember who it was now, but I remember thinking, Hmm, okay. You know, when you're trying to be competitive and thinking this guy spent 10 weeks training for this by racing the downhills, not just training for the uphills. So yeah, fair play to Ben Price. That's a storm in time. And I guess that is where you can pick up, you know, if you, if you are confident going like on any course, isn't it? If you go and yeah. do the recce and you know it exactly. and you know where to, where you don't get where stuck you can behind traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember doing it in Ironman Wales and um, just talking to a guy and he was from down the road and he said, this is where my local knowledge completely pays off because he, he would fly off down the downhill yeah and then i'd catch up we'd catch up again makes you a know, big on, difference on the, doesn't it if you know yeah yeah yep. and he totally knew it in the women's race helena hayes won ahead of tamsin neal and deborah hope and then rob i i spotted a team oa in action in the relay yeah so it turns out one of one of the guys i coach neil feekins who's been a podcast patron for ages his team um team past our prime God bless him. Uh, finished second overall, and he put a scorching bike leg out of a 110, which I think was in the top five bike legs of the day. So, top work, Neil. It was a. Uh, he told me it was an end of season party for him and his mates, but it looks like he's pretty much laid it out on the line. <laughs> with that like one. It. And it was won by Team T H E. Good stuff. Good. Good job. It's not Team T U E, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Very good job. <laughs> All right then, so coach's couch this week. Yeah, Rob, so question. So you're often talking about getting triathletes to do hard intervals on the bike during winter yep. while their running is easy or steady pace. So will their run fitness improve during this time and is there a way to test that? Okay, cool. So we're talking again about a section of the time training system here where we're focusing on the intelligent use of training intensity and the effective use of your effort in training. And so a quick recap would be in winter, I'll have my athletes train really hard on the bike and try and get the, the bike fitness really high. And during that time, all the running that they're going to do is going to be easy pace or steady pace. And by that, I mean conversational type pace. And a real common sort of worry is, like, am I not going to lose run fitness? Am I, going to, am I going to get slower during this time? But what we see is that because the cardiovascular fitness gets increased during this time with them doing the hard work on the bike, their run performances come in the spring are often they're running PBs, even though they haven't done any fast run training during the winter, because they're benefiting from the fact they're not picking up injuries or niggles. And they get that consistency of a whole winter of training three or four times a week on the run without any soreness or niggles. So they do end up with an increased run fitness. But the big challenge is it's, it's talking to that sheepdog in your mind that I, I talked about earlier. It's, it's people's brains saying, how do I know I'm not losing fitness? How do I know that I'm getting better at running if all the running I'm doing is relatively quite slow? So what I do is every month I have them do what I call like an aerobic run test. So rather than a flat out run test like you do in a race, we say we're going to do this at a really easy kind of heart rate and a rough rule of thumb I use the Phil Maffetone guidelines and say right you just take 
your age away from 180. So for me, I'm 45 years old, take 45 away from 180, and that gives me a heart rate cap of 135 beats a minute. And I'm going to go out and run three miles on a flat course, and I'm just going to monitor my heart rate. So I run at exactly that 135 beats a minute. So the ideal place to do it on is a running track. You do your warm up and you gradually get faster. You don't have a break before you start the run test. You just cross the start line, ideally with your heart rate already at 135. You click go on your stopwatch. That starts recording your heart rate. And you just keep running as fast as you can go without your heart rate going above that limit. What will probably happen for most people is they have to back the pace off a little bit progressively across that run test. But when you finish those three miles and you press stop on your stopwatch, you can have a look at the data afterwards and get a readout for how fast each one of those three miles was. And then across the course of the winter, if you repeat this run test, what you'll see is for the same heart rate, your run speed gets faster. And so it's a real good test for Ironman or 70.3 athletes who, like essentially, if you like, nobody's run in an Ironman is limited by how fast a runner they are. Because, you know, even Joe Skipper turning out a 240, he can probably run a 220 marathon. So his running speed and fitness isn't the limiter. It's the aerobic fitness and how well he can fuel himself aerobically that's going to be the limiter. So this is a really specific way for long distance athletes to be able to check on the fitness improvements through the winter without having to push themselves really hard and risking picking up a niggle. Makes sense. Yep. So... Get out there and give it a try, everybody. That's my that's my challenge to you. And one thing I've been doing with the the guys and girls in the Team Oxygen Addict private group, and we'll do it in the, the community Facebook group as well, is if you go out and you do this test, post your results up in the community page. Because firstly, that's number one, it's going to give you social validation that you've actually gone out and done this. And you're saying to yourself, I'm consciously trying to improve my run this winter. But the second thing it's going to do is it allows us to build up this kind of this bank of data of a whole range of different athletes to say, right, we've got this bunch of people did this in November, December, January, and February under the same conditions at the same heart rate. And this is what the run paces did when they trained in a certain way across the winter. And so it's going to give us loads of data points to say, you know, we've already got loads of data points already, but it's even more, it's my way of trying to be a scientist without being in a university, collect data from everyone in there, everyone who listens essentially. And Rob, have you, have you sort of, when would have been the last time, have you done it recently or like over the past couple of years? I haven't done it over the last couple of years. The, I used to do this, um, I used to do this all the time when I was in training, um, back when I was racing. So I was probably in my, what would I have been at the time? Probably been in my early to mid thirties as I was doing a lot of this. And so I would do my runs at about 150 beats a minute. That was that was a number I just used to it. And actually, the exact number isn't that important as long as it's considerably below where your sort of functional threshold number would be. The actual number is not that important. The, the big test is what changes when you keep one of the variables constant. So I would typically go out at the start of winter and I would try to run at 150 beats a minute and I'd be rubbish. I'd be almost crawling along. But by focusing on doing it and checking in on the watch, you can get to the point where you know, your speed can increase. I, I think I got down to about seven minutes, 15 a mile at 150 beats a minute. So come Ironman race day, and I never managed to do my Ironman marathon at seven minutes, 15 a mile. But 
it allowed me to go, I know I can hold this number forever. I know it's totally aerobic. I know that this is exactly what I've trained for. And it means I didn't go off too fast when the people around me did. And it meant I had the confidence to know I could hold that pace because it was entirely aerobic, like I'd trained with, you know? And and the first time that you did do it, yeah. you know, when you are trying to keep your... Did you find that difficult to keep your heart rate down? Because yeah, a lot yeah. of people are quite used to sort of going at the pace that they probably think that's about right. Exactly. Most people's, zone, basically. Yeah, most people's brains default to like you run basically as fast as you can and get faster to the point where the, the run finishes. <laughs> we, we tend to push ourselves in our runs, don't we? So even the concept of running submaximally is quite alien to most athletes when they first do it. So it's really hard, isn't it? That yeah. first word to, to sort of control yourself. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I'm always telling this story back in the days when I was training down at Alteringham and, um, oh, my mind's just gone blank. Um, Dave Norman used to go out for a, a run. He won the Manchester Marathon twice. He's like a 217, 218 marathon runner. There'd be a big group of guys met up on a Sunday morning for a long, easy run. And I'd prepare myself the first time and think, right, Dave Norman's here. We're going to get absolutely smashed. And lo and behold, we went out and we ran seven minutes, 45 a mile, or maybe eight minutes a mile. And then he actually is a great example of someone who would post all of his training logs online. I think they're still there if you go and search for them on Google. And this two hours 18 marathon runner did most of his running between 7 30 and 8 minutes a mile so i was left at the end of this run going wow like this stuff people write about in the training manuals you know the elite athletes are actually doing this they're doing their slow runs really slow and they're they're fast training and hard training really hard and there is that difference in the pace whereas i think most of us kind of blend into this middle ground where it's not really hard enough in the hard sessions to get the effect they want and the easy sessions are not easy enough to allow that gap of recovery. And that's like exactly what Elliot Smale said, isn't it, the other week? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a great yeah. example from him, wasn't it? 80 miles yeah. a week and probably 75 of them run really easy. Yeah, totally. So yeah, if you if you want a bit more on that, go back and listen to the Elliot Smales um, episode is the yeah. word I was after. It's jolly good. And a final word from us, if you're interested in learning more about how the time training system can help you improve over 70.39, man, you can watch our free webinar. There's a link to it in the show notes. Team Oxygenetics itself is now closed. We've had a brilliant response over the last four weeks with taking new members in. So we're going to close the doors for now and we're going to concentrate on the members that are in. Uh, and so as a thank you for watching the webinar, we're going to give away a free four-week winter training plan using all these principles that I'm talking about. So we're kind of putting our money where our mouth is here. For the people who watch the webinar, you get the full four-week training plan as if you join Team OA. You get to try it out for free and hopefully you get to see that it works really well for you and go hmm well that's a bit of a no-brainer then isn't it really so a bit of a risk giving something away for free but maybe not because it's the thing that's going to allow people to see it actually works i think it's difficult for people to trust something they haven't actually seen with their own eyes sometimes isn't it yeah definitely cool right hells i want you to tell me about your interview of the week Oh, Robert, it's it's brilliant. I think the next half an hour is going to be well worth your time. Um, so we, I was lucky enough to catch up with Nicholas Spirig. It's quite an exclusive interview, I reckon. 2012 Olympic right, yeah. gold medalist. 
I don't think she does that many podcast interviews. Um, so we're really lucky to have her on. She discusses everything from family life to studying law, what it's like to be coached by Brett Sutton, train alongside Daniela Reef. Um, quite amazingly, I think she's going to be having her third child next spring. Um, but I mean, that in itself is pretty incredible given that she's still been racing, you know, at the top level. She intends to come back in time for Tokyo 2020 and that would be her fifth Olympic Games appearance which as a triathlete I mean that's astonishing it's astonishing for a rower who's like and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way but sitting down to do the sport the fact that it's a fifth Olympics and one that involves running is just almost unbelievable isn't it in terms of the destructive forces on your body yeah yeah And there's there's so much in this interview that you can take about, you know, the importance of balance in in so much. You know, she went and she finished her studies and and yeah, you're just going to enjoy it. So here we go. Here is our interview with Nicola Spirig. Nicola Spirig, hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon podcast. First of all, congratulations um, on the expecting child number three. Hi Helen, thank you very much. Hi everyone. Yeah, it's really it's really exciting that you're going to be expecting your third child. Oh, definitely yes. We are really looking forward to spring and having a third child. It was our big dream, I would say, and um, yeah, we are really happy. Have you have you always wanted to have a big family? Um, it was always clear for both of us that we wanted to have kids. We didn't know exactly how many. My husband always said, oh, he wanted five. And I was just laughing and saying, well, you have to find another woman then. I'm not having five, but it was kind of a joke. But, yeah, we definitely wanted three, uh, two. And we said we would see after having the second one how it goes and how it feels and then decide if we wanted to have another one. And how has it been for you competing at the top? whilst being a mum as well and, and juggling both? Um, well, on the one hand, it hasn't been easy because you're constantly busy. If you're not training, you're home with the kids. And if you're not home with the kids or they are sleeping, you're doing your emails. And so there's not much free time. But on the other hand, I see it as a true privilege to combine both. I mean, I, I love being a mom and I love having a family that's to me, that's the most important. That's uh, that's my priority number one. And to combine it with still doing my passion and, and being able to compete at such a high level, I think it's a, it's a real privilege for me. And were you always confident that you would, for example, be able to make it back to the very top and, and be on that start line in Rio, for example? Um, no, not at all. To me, it was important that I could prepare the Olympics in London as an athlete only, without family. That's what I always said to read to my husband as well. He's a bit older. He was always, as I said, we were always knowing we wanted a family. We have been together for 10 years then. So it was clear we wanted to uh, found a family. But to me, I always said, well, that's after London, after the Olympics 212, because I want to be selfish uh, for that preparation and prepare everything like a hundred percent and just have to be able, responsible for myself and once I had that opportunity 
I was happy to have a family and I was I always said well if my career is finished now either because um, my body won't work anymore as it did before having a kid or because mentally I'm I will probably not be as motivated anymore or not really find it important anymore to race that would have been completely fine for me so I was happy to finish my career after London and uh, having a family then really Mm -hmm. yes that was I didn't know it was actually funny because before London I was always saying well that might be the last time I'm packing my bike that might be the last time I'm buying swimming goggles and (laughs) so (laughs) I was actually um quite fine with uh, just finishing after that just um, looking back an amazing career and being Olympic champion was even more amazing so um, yes if it would have been different and for some reason I couldn't have uh, uh, I wouldn't have been able to to uh, race anymore that would have been fine for me yeah so what was it inside you that made you really want to return for Rio and now as well for for Tokyo that's the aim isn't it yes that's the aim and it was just we had we had Yanis our first child and I started to train a little bit again and I just felt that I still um, still love training and I still had a passion for for triathlon for sports and I started to race again and it went actually pretty well I felt that the priorities had changed that my family was number one now and of course when Yanis uh, uh, was sick or something went wrong I stayed home and the training was cancelled but it didn't there were also a lot of uh, advantages like after a bad session I wasn't going home like before and thinking about oh why was that so bad and um, thinking about about it for half a day but I just came home and saw Yanis and saw his smile and it it just wasn't important anymore so I could take it much more relaxed and uh, not think about it that much and just be happy to be able to train and to do my best so I think that was a a big advantage for me and so I just um, got better and got fitter again and started racing and everything went pretty well I started to give myself some goals again like the marathon in uh, athletics uh, Europeans or uh, doing an Ironman at 214 so completely different just having fun and having some challenges and just feeling that I'm not done yet and that it worked with the family and doing sports at the same time. It's amazing and so Tokyo would be your fifth olympics just that's incredible especially in a sport like triathlon <laughs> yes yeah well i i if you would have asked me a few years ago i i would never have said that i would go to five olympics it was just like um i have studied law because i was sure i would i would finish my career earlier and just do a normal job and um I was I wasn't expecting to be in the sports that long, but as I said, I, I'm just still enjoying it a lot and still being able to compete at that high level. So I just think, well, I should enjoy it as long as I can and see if I 
can take on this new big challenge and probably even compete for another medal. Yes, honestly, because even watching in, in Rio and, you know, you were on the, <clears throat> you were absolutely smashing it on the bike and then sort of side by side with Gwen on on the run and and it was it was incredible to watch. <laughs> it was quite amazing for myself, yeah. The, the lead the lead up to the the Olympics in Rio wasn't perfect at all. Like I was uh, I was a mom now, so nothing went to plan, and um, I was the defending Olympic champion. So basically, I had this pressure, and then I broke my hand a few months before the the Olympics. So I really um, it wasn't perfect, but it, I still I still believed I could um, race for a medal, and we still prepared to to try and win. And it was really a, a great race for me. I think I came to the finish line. I was I was really happy because I knew I gave everything and um, tried everything to win that gold, and was more more than happy to win the silver. What was said to each other on the run? <laughs> the little talk, the little chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I knew Gwen was unbeaten, I think, since four years then when she got off the bike with the main group and and was running. So no one had beaten her in that uh, case since four years. So my my coach and I knew, well, if she got off the bike with me and all the others, um, I would have. I would need different tactics to beat her, to try and beat her. He said, my coach said, well, she's just physically, she's a better runner at the moment than you. We we couldn't quite uh, follow the tactics we wanted and do the training we wanted to uh, leading into the Olympics because of the broken hand. So I couldn't train as much and run as much as I wanted. So I knew physically. She was running faster, and he said, well, you need to think as a boxer and just try to unsettle her somehow and get her out of the rhythm. So I said, well, that's not triathlon. Triathlon is running, cycling, swimming as fast as you can, and the fastest is winning. And he was laughing and saying, that's fine, but so you will lose. And was walking away. (laughs) Of course, that gave me something to think. And... um, yeah, then my husband and I were choking and he was running along with me and said, oh, I'm Gwen now, so what do you do? And we were just laughing about it, but it made me think. And um, during the race, I, I was in, in the first half, I was just hanging on and I was really hurting. But I think Gwen was a bit surprised that halfway there was still someone running with her. Mm. Normally that wasn't the case. So she let me lead which she never does normally, which for me was a positive sign that she's not 100% sure to win. But then we came into the headwind again, and I knew if I would lead and she would attack, I would have no chance at all. So I turned around to her and said, well, let's share the lead, and you, you go in front again. And she said, no, no, I was leading the first two laps. And then I just used it as a little... Uh, chat to try and break her rhythm so we slowed down and I said well yes but I I'm already having a gold medal and you don't so you have to do the work and uh, it was just all about trying to 
unsettle her. And as I said, we had I, I knew we had 25 seconds to the third and the fourth athlete, so I didn't have too much to play around. But 10 seconds, I thought, well, I can I can risk that. Um, and just try to get her out of her rhythm. So she was still better, but I tried everything, and I think it was it was uh, interesting also, as you said, for the spectators to watch and something different. And did Brett say to you afterwards, well done for talking to her, well done for trying to disrupt <laughs> her, mental. <laughs> her mental? No, not really. But um, to me, it was just the knowledge that I had tried everything. Like I had... I had a good swim for myself. I, I got out uh, in the first pack. I um, really tried to to break away, but the two or three athletes that could have helped me uh, were sick or had cramps or something else. So, and it, it was I knew it was would have been hard for me to break away on my own. So when this didn't work, I was just leading a lot and making the bike hard, uh, so that everyone had to to work on the bike um, and then on the run again I I really gave my best and I even um, worked on this mental side so I knew I had done everything I could to to do the perfect race and that made me happy. You've done a standalone marathon you mentioned it in, in Zurich in 2014 at the European Athletics Championships. Mm. Gwen has obviously now switched to just pure marathon running Mm -hmm. what have you made of her transition um it's quite interesting for me to watch I never I never thought of completely switching but to me it was really refreshing uh, at that stage to just uh, have different challenges as I said to uh, aim for the Europeans uh, in athletics in marathon and then to to race a marathon uh, an Ironman um to me, it was really good to not um, race the World Series races and the same races uh, the whole career. So I think it can help her. Um, but to me, yes, for me, it wasn't. It was never a question to completely switch to running. And and so that that wouldn't be something that you would look at doing um, after Tokyo, for example. No, no, no. For fun, doing run races for fun, yes. But um, completely switch. Um, I have a different point of view, maybe, to Gwen. I think I'm not able to run with the best. So I I don't think I could become Olympic champion in a marathon, just because also because of my my body, I can't handle uh, a lot of miles just running and I have for example I have muscly arms so I'm I'm already carrying more weight in my on my arms than the normal runners so uh, just looking at that I think um, it's not a goal to to become Olympic champion in marathon I thought of qualifying for marathon for the Olympics once just as a challenge I love challenges and new challenges so that would have been switching for a little time to marathon or to running, something like that. Yes, it would be interesting, but not as a real career. And has it surprised you that Gwen has made that switch? Um, first, yes, probably. I wasn't expecting it, but um, I can, as I said, I can 
uh, I know the feeling to to wanting to try something new and to have a new challenge. So I I can understand that thought of her. You've done an Ironman as well as you in Cozumel, again back in 2014. Is that something that interests you in the long term, or is it going to be Tokyo and then I have achieved everything I've wanted to achieve? That's good for me. Hmm. Um, to me, it was it was uh, really interesting to do an Ironman. I'm training with a lot of long distance athletes, so I see them train every every day basically and. We had a friendly uh, um, discussion all the time, what's harder and what's better, like Olympic distance or Ironman. And of course, they said, oh, Ironman is much harder and you have to do so much more and longer and whatever. And I said, no, no, you have to be so much faster in Olympic distance and train harder. So that's that's the real uh, triathlon. So, of course, I had to do one to actually say, well, I've done both now. I can judge now. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, of course, that was just... No, it was interesting for me to try one. And um, I think it would be really interesting to see how I am uh, compared to the best long-distance athletes of the world and to do Hawaii. But for that, I know I, I would have to prepare 100% again. And long distance does need a few more training hours on the bike, especially. And with the family and with all the other projects in my life I have, I just don't have that time. So I don't want to sacrifice more time away from my family than I do now. And therefore, long distance uh, is not a goal at the moment just because of that you've trained with the likes of Chrissy Wellington with Daniela you train with her a lot mm. how do the two of them compare in their approaches would you say to to training oh that's difficult <laughs> <laughs> they they are definitely both amazing athletes especially on the bike they were both like I wouldn't say from another planet, but almost. it was, yeah, almost. <laughs> it's quite impressive to see them. Like Chrissy, um, we went on to riding up a pa- uh, pass and uh, it, was, it started climbing and she was still talking and everyone was already falling behind. She, she didn't even notice. She she didn't stop talking, but even if we were like hundreds of meters behind because for her it was so easy <laughs> and everyone else was just dropped. <laughs> and Daniela is a bit the same. They're both amazing athletes on the bike. And I think um, running-wise, they're pretty similar as well as they can just hold the same high pace for a really long time. They're not super fast. Yeah, I don't have problems to to beat them on the track or something, but they can just run the same solid high pace for for the whole time, which which I of course um after after ten, twenty kilometers I, I'm starting to feel tired and my legs start to ache and they just seem to have no problem with that so that's it's impressive you've obviously you were competed in or at in at whichever at london 2012 alongside daniela when she was Mm -hmm. competing at the olympic distance for switzerland you must be a pretty proud teammate to have seen her 
really, really flourish at the longer distance. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was really interesting to see. She she was always a good athlete. Like even at the Olympic distance, she she got seventh behind me at the Olympics in Rio uh, in Beijing, um, and she won a World Cup in Korea. So she wasn't a bad Olympic distance athlete. She was just lacking that little bit of speed in the end. And she switched to Brett. They were even asking me if I was okay with that. And I was uh, saying yes, of course. And I could see it's always interesting how Brett is looking at new athletes and um, seeing the advantages and the potential. And from the beginning, he said, well, you can be an amazing long-distance athlete. And first she wasn't believing and she didn't want to do an, to do an Ironman. And she was like saying, no, half Ironman, yes, but no, no Ironman. And um, it was it was just uh, amazing to see, yes, how she did her first Ironman in Zurich and was asking me for advice. And I was laughing because I said, well, you better ask long-distance people, not me. <laughs> But um, yeah, so she transformed into a an animal in just in a few months, actually on on the Ironman distance, which was uh, really impressive. Did you watch her in Kona this year? Did you watch the race or did you follow it? Uh, I couldn't watch because I was in Spain and we didn't have a good internet connection. Oh. But uh, yes, but um, I called Brett uh, after the swim and uh, asked him how it went, and then of course I I, I uh, looked at the results in the morning. And what did you think? <laughs> well, I I can't say I didn't expect the result because I saw her training and um, I knew she was really really fit. Um, after the swim, I, as I said, I knew from Brett that she was uh, having a shocking swim, that she was uh, having uh, jellyfish bites and, and was in pain. But I still thought, well, 10 minutes, usually that's no problem for her. So it just depended on how much um, she was disturbed by, by the jellyfish. But uh, yeah, I knew usually if she can ride as she normally rides, it should still be no problem for her to beat the others. Do you do a lot of your training together? No, we don't. <laughs> because it's just a bit different. Mm. Like we, in St. Moritz, in a training camp in summer, we mostly meet in the, at the swimming pool at 7 a.m. Sometimes we do the same session there, sometimes not. We have different... Uh, different training sessions at the same time in the morning in this uh, swim so yeah whatever normally it, it depends what the, the rest of the day looks but then the rest of the day normally she has a longer bike ride and I have a more intense bike ride or she has a longer run and I have a shorter more intense run so our training sessions really uh, are not the same have you have you learned from her? I think we both learned from each other. Yes, I think that's the advantage of having such a, a training group on such a high level with like international athletes and also short distance and long distance athletes. 
you can learn a lot from the other athletes and that's really an, an advantage. And how you've been with Brett since the very beginning, haven't you? How do you think that he has evolved as a, as a coach in that time? Um, well, we are always laughing because he says I, might, I made him a better coach and he definitely made me a better athlete. But the way I made, made him a better coach is that um, after Beijing Olympics 2008, I... I wanted to go back to uh, to university to finish my law studies, and back at that time he couldn't understand that, and he said, "Well, if you have your career now, and look how many thousands of law students finish their studies, and look how many athletes become Olympic champion, it's just one in four years." So I think it's pretty obvious what you have to do, and you can finish your studies when you're 50. So I said, well, <laughs> that's not how it works for Swiss people. I I will first finish my studies and then I can come back with the security of a of a good education and um, do a good job in sports. So we we were discussing that, and he said, well, he's not training me if I'm not a hundred percent. I said, well, that's fine, but I have to finish my studies first. I come back afterwards. So we we actually didn't train uh, with each other for six months, and then he was the one coming back and saying, "Okay, I'm I'm still training you, and I see that you need this education. I see that some people don't work well being a hundred percent in sports, but they do need something beside sports." And after that, he had a lot of Swiss and also other athletes studying besides training and uh, said, well, I wouldn't train them if I wouldn't have had you and uh, you wouldn't have <laughs> made me train you again because, um, yeah, that's not how I used to be and that's not my way I would have done it as an Australian but I can see it works for some people. So yeah, things like this, I think he also learned uh, while I was training with him. That's really cool. And it's about sort of that balance, isn't it? Balance in life, exactly. in everything yeah, yeah. is just so important. Definitely. To me, it's really important to have a life besides triathlon. It was also important, especially in times when you are injured or having problems or struggling, it's it's so much better if you have something besides sports and you don't feel like everything is lost and, and you don't have everything anymore. So to me, I think it was essential to for my Olympic uh, title to have these law studies, even if I might never use it, but just to have the security of a good education, the knowledge that I can even if I get lost at the Olympics that I can just go back and start a job. That was really, really important to me. Can you imagine now ever working in an office nine to five? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I found the studies pretty interesting, but as you say, I was an athlete for such a long time and had my kind of my freedom in how I want to uh, plan my day. So it would, I think, I would be struggling to just sit in an office for the whole day. But you do do. You still do a lot of like extra work and things like that and projects outside of actually mm -hmm. just swim bike run 
you do loads to get kids involved as well, don't you? So tell us a little bit about the Nicholas Spirig Kids Cup and your foundation <laughs> as well. Yes, um, I think as an Olymp Olympic champion, you kind of also have a bit of an obligation to give back and to use that title. In Switzerland, is extremely special because uh, from summer, summer Olympics, there are only four women ever in history that have an Olympic gold medal, and the first was back in 1900. So wow. it, it doesn't happen really often. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just felt that also with Brett's support that I should um, give back. I love to work with kids. So we started this little kids series. Um, children from 5 to 14 can compete in a triathlon in like eight places in Switzerland. And now also in other countries like Cyprus and Greece, they started to copy copy that and it's it's really like they are really short distances and the the small ones can can use uh swim aids or can come with the like bikes and swim, uh, bike helps and everything so it's not about performance but about showing him them the sport and showing them that sports is really fun and being active is really cool and i i just love the seeing the kids and doing the triathlon and having fun and laughing. It's really nice. And has Yanis done it yet? Uh, he did, yes. Last year he he wasn't really interested yes, uh, yet. And this year he did two of the little races and uh, he was really proud. So it was good to see him doing it. And uh, I, I, as a mom, was especially proud of the fact that he was smiling the whole way. So I said, well, that's actually that's exactly what we want, kids having fun doing it and so that made me proud do you ever get nervous nicola before big races all the time yes <laughs> how do you how do you deal with them then um i used to be really bad in dealing with it before i was with brett like i as a as a junior i used to get nervous like a week before the race and <laughs> not sleep well anymore and dreaming about the race so i was really bad and um, then I started with Brett and he said, well, part of it is just that you're not prepared properly and that you, you, you think you're not prepared well and not trained enough. So we started to prepare the way I should have. And um, he showed he also showed me a lot of his training um, books from before I trained with him from world champions and former Olympic champions showed me the training results and, and how they train. And that helped me quite a lot to see that I wasn't that bad and they, they didn't do that much faster times. And of course I started to try to beat the times. And when I came to the races afterwards, I felt pretty fit. I felt prepared properly and to me, now it always helps to know that um, I can just do my best and no one else expect or no one should expect more from me, especially not myself. So I can do the race and do my best at every time and I should be happy with that. So that takes some of the pressure and some of the nervous, uh, how do you say that in English, like just the, being nervous the... away. And then you wear a, go a golden horse in your ear, right? For good luck. Uh, yes. that, so what's that about? <laughs> well, that's, that was actually 
Years and years ago, um, there was a present from Brett, but it was a silver horse first. Um, he had that. Uh, he, he gave a lot of athletes uh, some earrings. Um, Emma Snow's he was the the mouse, and he gave her a little mouse. I don't, I can't remember why. And and he always said he. I remember him. Uh, he was training horses before race horses. And I reminded him the, to those horses, so he gave me a little silver horse. And I don't know anymore if I complained or if, if he came after a few years with a golden horse because he said, well, no wonder you can't win the big races with a silver horse. It needs to be a golden horse. And so he, he replaced it. And um, I used to, for the, for the bigger races, I used to, or I, I still wear one golden horse and for the Olympics only the Olympics I wear both golden horses so that's the good luck charm so we will see both golden horses exactly yes. in Tokyo in 2020 only at the Olympics yes <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible um, Nicola I, I honestly I feel very very honoured that you've um, taken the time out to speak to me so thank you so much no problem thank you too How's it sounds like you are you were pretty excited about interviewing Nicholas Sprig, was it? Would you say it's one of your favourite interviews that you've done? Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> pretty yeah. exciting to talk to a, a double Olympic medalist, right? I think it was like I would have I would have known sort of I guess known of Nicola um you know, when I worked in Switzerland, um and she was so back in twenty ten and she would have been you know, I probably would have written news stories about her back then yeah um but i wouldn't and i I watched a documentary maybe last year about her and danielle reef and it was really interesting and it was translated because it was all in um german so yeah just to have the opportunity to talk to her and find out more about her as a person uh was yeah I, i felt really really grateful for her to say yep I can do that, no problem. And I think it's ace that these these massive megastars of the sport are starting to realise that they can get their story out to the fans through podcasts, probably much more effectively than they can through mainstream media. So it's awesome that you managed to get an interview with her on. And who knows where, who knows who the next Olympic medalist might be on the show. (laughs) Fingers crossed. But it will be really cool to see her come back um, for Tokyo 2020. I mean, that will be amazing. Yeah, and so wow, wasn't it, wasn't it fascinating though, Rob, about all the stuff with Gwen Jorgensen and, and the mind games and that and yeah, so much. It was just, yeah. honestly, for the, for the interview, I was like, wow, yeah. wow. I, I was amazed at how open she was about all of that stuff because yeah. it's kind of, is it a trick you can only use once, once you've then talked about it in an interview afterwards? Does the next time, because it's not impossible to imagine that Gwen Jorgensen listens to this interview to get an insight into her mind. Do you know what I mean? Because she doesn't do that many interviews. No. So is it is it the kind of thing where she'll be going, hmm, oh, I see. That was the mental game she's trying to play with me. Uh, she would have known straight away, wouldn't she, when she started talking to her? Yeah. But I think there's a difference between knowing that someone's doing that to mess with you and feeling that you're being messed with in an, in the middle of an Olympic final. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's then knowing 
it's a preparation isn't it for yeah. absolutely everything and totally in that sense Nicola prepared for absolutely everything and if you perhaps know that it you know then the mental mental games come into it a bit like it's like cricket isn't it there's always the mental games and so how do you prepare for that sledging mm. and everything I'm not saying that this was sledging at all but you know it, it, it's it's almost well that's part of it okay well I need to make sure that that's part of my training up to the next Olympics I need to work on the mental aspect of it as well yeah it, it's very reminiscent of the, the old Chris McCormack interviews where he tells stories about how like the year after uh, Faris al-Sultan won, Chris McCormack followed him around the world to every single little event that he did, even the, the sort of little corporate ones he did in Dubai to promote his little triathlon team. Chris McCormack would get himself invited to the race and go and beat him. And at every race, he'd go up to him and say, I'm going to beat you at Kona next year. And then Faris talked in interviews about how much, you know, quite openly, how much he disliked Chris McCormack for having done this to him. But McCormack would say, I didn't care about that. Like I've got total respect for him as a champion, but as a person, it's my job to get inside his head and do everything I can to beat mm. him. So I don't know. My personal thing is I've, I'm a bit of a, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit sad. Like the Corinthian ideal of two people racing each other side by side and then shaking hands at the end. I don't like the whole bringing the attitude of boxing into it, but it's different horses for different courses, isn't it? And that's probably a small part of the reason I'm not an Olympic champion. <laughs> and I they guess, are. I guess so. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and and you know, if if you want to win a medal, you've got to do everything in everything that you can to to try to get it. I mean, Nicola did say, "No, it's about swim, bike, run. I don't want to do that." But then, when when it was pointed out, well, you're not going to win. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. I think. yeah it's that's the thing isn't it the elite sport when things happen at that level it's almost a, it's a different thing to age group sport because the age group is it's all about us getting the best out of ourselves and hopefully the people around us helping us to get more out of ourselves it's pretty rare i think that two age groupers would have any kind of banter during a race like that who knows maybe it does happen at the very top level these days but i'm more about the the side-by-side -side aspect of it than the the person-against-person person aspect. Well, well, absolutely. If, if 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 it does happen, you've been, um, you know, you've had it. Then let us know. It would be good to good to find out. Yeah, cool. All right, a couple of bits of news for us then. First up, sadly, there is no more Ironman Edinburgh seventy point three. It's been ended, hasn't it? It has uh, two years. Um, first year, the the sea was oh awful wasn't it it was just horrendous um but yep they've had almost two and a half thousand athletes doing it but it is going to be no longer um however rob there is another ironman 70.3 on the horizon uh, a new race in morocco has been announced for next year 70.3 marrakesh it does sound like it would be quite cool. I was going to say, Hells, it sounds like exactly the kind of thing that might be up your street. Is it something that might be wheedling its way into the maybe it's going on my bucket list list? I think it would be going below uh, Los Cabos, but it, it just sounded, I was reading and I was like, that sounds yeah, ace. It sounds, yeah. yeah, you go up, you know, you wind your way through the Berber village. I don't think that my innards are strong enough to go and eat food in Morocco. I just oh, haven't got I mean, a strong enough constitution. <laughs> sort yourself out, Wilby. It would be delicious. It would be amazing. All my friends who've surfed and sailed there have all had bad tummies, and I have a bad tummy at the best of times. So, <laughs> not, not a reason not to go to a country. Well, 
It is for me. <laughs> it's no, enough to scare that, me off. That is a poor excuse when you've got like the Atlas Mountains in the background. Oh, it would be. Yeah, one for the uh, one for the long list, I think, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for this week, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, it does. Um, thank you very much for uh, everyone. Thank you very much for to Nicholas Book for for coming on and doing that interview. Yeah, and thanks very much to our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. Remember, you can use the code OxygenAddict to get £9.99 worth of free Precision Hydration. And also remember that you can get yourself onto our webinar on how to train yourself better at 70.3 and Ironman. Just click on the link in the show notes for that one. How are things going with Fuel by Cake, Hells? Yep, still ticking along, Rob. Uh, fueledbycake.com. If you haven't yet purchased a charity recipe book, it's £10. Um, putting it together for Melanoma UK, Young Epilepsy and my local hospice. And there are recipes in there from the likes of Chrissy Wellington and Vicky Holland and Laura Siddle and Rachel Joyce and Emma Pooley and Judy Murray and loads of other... Oh, this guy called Rob Wilby. And loads of other triathletes and friends and family. It's all for charity. Loads of yummy recipes fueled by cake.com i'm trying to raise fifteen thousand pounds so if you could help that would be amazing yeah going to be doing a fundraising event in a couple of weeks in nutsford rob so jelly good hoping to sell a few more there too good stuff all right everyone well listen thank you so much for listening this has been the oxygen addict triathlon podcast i'm coach rob wilby I'm Helen Murray. And until next week, have a great safe training and racing week, everybody. Get yourself out there, make yourself some cake, get out and enjoy the last of the rays of the sun of autumn before winter kicks in hard. We'll see you all again next week. Cheers, everyone. See ya. Bye.